This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by Howard Nemerov. Howard Nemerov was born in New York City in 1920. Nemerov's father was involved in art and philanthropy, and his children grew up in an atmosphere of sophisticated cultural interests. Nemerov's younger sister, Deanne Arbus, became a famous photographer. Nemerov attended Fieldston, a private college prep school in the city, before enrolling at Harvard University for his B.A. He served as an Air Force pilot throughout World War II and married Margaret Russell in 1944. After the war, the couple returned to New York, and Nemerov taught literature to veterans at Hamilton College. He also completed his first book of poems. After several teaching jobs, Nemerov eventually became a professor at Washington University in St. Louis, where he taught for the next two decades. Nemerov is a formalist. His poems are written in meter and in fixed forms, such as the sonnet. He's praised for his creativity and wit, as well as his precision, within these given structures. Nemerov also developed a reputation as a critic, essayist, editor, and playwright. He published 14 books of poetry in total. His collected poems, released in 1977, won three major awards, the Bollingen Prize, the Pulitzer Prize, and the National Book Award. He served as poetry consultant to the Library of Congress in the mid-1960s, and years later as poet laureate, just before his death in 1991. The following five poems were recorded at the Library of Congress in the mid-1960s. The older among us will remember there was a very sad chap named William Remington who in the bad old McCarthy days suffered for some relatively minor sins having to do with what had been at one time our Russian allies. Uh, He would have been stuck in jail and forgot except that he suffered the further misfortune of being beaten to death by a couple of fellow prisoners. This is uh, the murder of William Remington. It is true that even in the best-run state, such things will happen. It is true what's done is done. The law whereby we hate our hatred sees no fire in the flue but by the smoke, and not for thought alone it punishes, but for the thing that's done. And yet there is the horror of the fact, though we knew not the man, to die in jail, to be beaten to death, to know the act of personal fury before the eyes can fail and the man die against the cold last wall of the lonely world. And neither is that all. There is the terror, too, of each man's thought that knows not but must quietly suspect his neighbor, friend, or self of being taught to take an attitude merely correct, being frightened of his own cold image in the glass of government and his own sin, frightened lest Senate House and prison wall be quarried of one stone, lest righteous and high look faintly smiling down and seem to call a crime the welcome chance of liberty, 
and any man an outlaw who aggrieves the patriotism of a pair of thieves. Life cycle of common man is sort of probably bad joke about uh, how we see ourselves treated in the large, in the mass, as statistical particles. I was trying to think how uh, the works and days of any of us would seem if put down in this respect. It didn't turn out really to be a satiric poem. I developed quite a lot of sympathy for myself on the way through. <laughs> Roughly figured, this man of moderate habits, this average consumer of the middle class, consumed in the course of his average lifespan just under half a million cigarettes, four thousand fifths of gin and about a quarter as much vermouth. He drank maybe a hundred thousand cups of coffee. Frightful idea. And counting his parents' share, it cost something like half a million dollars to put him through life. How many beasts died to provide him with meat, belt, and shoes cannot be certainly said. But anyhow, it is in this way that a man travels through time, leaving behind him a lengthening trail of empty bottles and bones, of broken shoes, frayed collars, and worn out or outgrown diapers and dinner jackets, silk ties and slickers. Given the energy and security thus achieved, he did what? The usual things, of course, the eating, dreaming, drinking, and begetting. And he worked for the money which was to pay for the eating, etc., which were necessary if he were to go on working for the money, etc. But chiefly, he talked. As the bottles and bones accumulated behind him, the words proceeded steadily from the front of his face as he advanced into the silence and made it verbal. Who can tally the tale of his words? A lifetime would barely suffice for their rep repetition. If you merely printed all his commas, the result would be a very large volume. And the number of times he said, thank you, or very little sugar, please, would stagger the imagination. There were also witticisms, platitudes, and statements beginning it seems to me, or as I always say, consider the courage in all that, and behold the man walking into deep silence with the ectoplastic cartoons balloon of speech proceeding steadily out of the front of his face, the words borne along on the breath which is his spirit, telling the numberless tale of his untold word, which makes the world his apple and forces him to eat. Storm windows. People are putting up storm windows now, or were this morning, until the heavy rain drove them indoors. So, coming home at noon, I saw storm windows lying on the ground, frame full of rain. 
Through the water and glass, I saw the crushed grass, how it seemed to stream away in lines like seaweed on the tide or blades of wheat leaning under the wind. The ripple and splash of rain on the blurred glass seemed that it briefly said as I walked by, something I should have liked to say to you, something. The dry grass bent under the pain, brimful of bouncing water, Something of a swaying clarity which blindly echoes this lonely afternoon of memories and missed desires while the wintry rain, unspeakable the distance in the mind, runs on the standing windows and away. I used to be quite confident that I knew what a goosefish was. I mean, I could identify what I am calling a goosefish if we'd walk on the shore and find one. But I realized that uh, my verbal notion of his identity comes from some old gent who was walking on the shore. I said, what's that? And he said, that's a sculpin, but the fishermen call him a goosefish. A very horrifying creature, mostly head, and of the head mostly mouth, with a great shovel full of teeth sticking out the lower jaw. Then uh, ten years later it occurred to me to look up Sculpin, and there was a picture in the dictionary, and it was nothing like this fish at all. I have no guarantee that uh, the fishermen ever call it a goose fish either, uh, or that that old gentleman ever existed for that matter. Anyhow, if it wasn't a goosefish before, it is now. <laughs> On the long shore, lit by the moon to show them properly alone, two lovers suddenly embraced so that their shadows were as one. The ordinary night was graced for them by the swift tide of blood that silently they took at flood and for a little time they prized themselves and paradised. Then, as if shaken by stage fright beneath the hard moon's bony light, they stood together on the sand, embarrassed in each other's sight, but still conspiring hand in hand, until they saw there underfoot, as though the world had found them out, the goosefish turning up, though dead, his hugely grinning head. There in the china light he lay, most ancient and corrupt and gray. They hesitated at his smile, wondering what it seemed to say to lovers who a little while before had thought to understand by violence upon the sand the only way that could be known to make a world their own. It was a, a wide and moony grin, together peaceful and obscene. They knew not what he would express, so finished a comedian he might mean failure or success, but took it for an emblem of their sudden new and guilty love to be observed by when they kissed that rigid optimist. So he became their patriarch, 
dreadfully mild in the half-dark, his throat that the sand seemed to choke, his picket teeth, these left their mark, but never did explain the joke that so amused him, lying there, while the moon went down to disappear along the still and tilted track that bears the zodiac. The Ice House in Summer. A door sunk in a hillside with a bolt thick as the boy's arm, and behind that door, the walls of ice melting a blue faint light, an air of cedar branches, sawdust, fern, decaying seasons keeping from decay. A summer guest the boy had never seen, a servant told him of it, how the lake froze three foot thick, how farmers came with teams with axe and saw, to cut great blocks of ice, translucid, marbled, glittering in the sun, load them on sleds and drag them up the hill to be manhandled down the narrow path and set in courses for the summer's keeping, the kitchen uses and luxuriousness of the great houses. And he heard how once a team and driver drowned in the break of spring the man's cry melting from the ice that summer frightened the sherbet eaters off the terrace. Dust of the cedar, lost and evergreen among the slowly blunting water walls where the blade edge melted and the steel saw's bite was rounded out and the horse and rider drowned in the Red Sea's blood. I was the silly child who dreamed that riderless cry and saw the guests run from a ghostly wall so long before the winter house fell with the summer house, house and the houses Egypt, the great houses, had an end. That was Howard Nemiroff, recorded at the Library of Congress in the mid-1960s and used by permission of Margaret Nemiroff and the University of Chicago Press. You have been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about Howard Nemiroff and other Essential American Poets, and to hear more poetry, go to PoetryFoundation.org.